Welcome to another edition of Focus on the Kingdom. This is Anthony Buzzard inviting you again to search the Scriptures with us as we continue with our investigation of Jesus' favorite topic, the Gospel about the Kingdom of God. Our point of view in this series of programs on the Kingdom is that Jesus preached the Gospel. Some might feel that that's an obvious fact hardly needing to be stated. But the impression one gains by reading tracts and listening to radio programs and television programs about the gospel, the impression you gain is that Jesus was not the preacher of the gospel. All he did, according to this widely circulated idea, was to die and to be buried and to be raised from the dead. Now, is that really according to the biblical record? Did Jesus only come to do three days' work? I want to suggest to you that that's a fundamentally false understanding of the New Testament. In Luke 4, verse 43, Jesus explained himself what he came to do. He said, I must proclaim the gospel about the kingdom of God to the other cities also. That's the reason why God commissioned me. Now, that verse in Luke 4, verse 43, surely opens up for us clearly the Master's mind, the great rabbi and teacher Jesus his mind is fully exposed there when he says, I came for this single purpose of proclaiming the gospel about the kingdom of God. He didn't say there, I came to die for the sins of the world only. I came to die, to be buried, and to be resurrected. He said, I came to preach. And what's more, he defined his preaching quite closely and carefully. He said, I came to preach the gospel, and then he defined the gospel, the gospel about the kingdom of God. That's the reason why God commissioned me. Luke 4, verse 43. It's hardly surprising, then, that the early church took up that very same missionary activity and copied Jesus' preaching of the kingdom exactly. In Acts 8, verse 12, we find an early creedal statement, a statement encapsulating what the church was doing at that time. And in that text we read that when they believed Philip, as he was proclaiming or preaching the gospel about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were getting baptized, both men and women. Now, you'll notice it doesn't just say that they accepted Jesus in their hearts or asked Jesus to come into their lives. Those phrases are not found in the Bible. What it does say is that they accepted the message of the preaching of the gospel about the kingdom of God from Philip before they were baptized. Not only that, they accepted the things concerning the name of Jesus Christ. So the gospel of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ was the two-pronged form of the gospel message at that time. Now, isn't that most revealing? Doesn't that show that the early church continued with the very same mission and ministry of Jesus? After Jesus was taken to the right hand of the Father, the church continued to preach exactly the same gospel as Jesus had preached. I can illustrate this most clearly for you by turning to Luke chapter 9 and verse 11. Here we have a description of a typical day in the preaching ministry of Jesus Christ. But the multitudes were aware of this, and they followed Jesus, and welcoming them, he began speaking to them about the kingdom of God. That verse tells us then that if you're listening to the voice of Jesus, you're hearing the message about the kingdom of God. That was the way Jesus spoke to his audiences. In parallel with that, we find in Paul's ministry exactly the same concentration 
on this fundamental issue of the kingdom of God. In Acts 28 and verse 30, we'll find that Paul welcomed all those who came to his house, and he preached the kingdom of God to them, and taught them concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. It must be by design that Luke leaves us, as the last verse of his second book, the book of Acts, leaves us with this strong impression of what was typical of the preaching of Paul. Paul preached the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Now, there's nothing remarkable about any of this, because Paul clearly felt under obligation to relay the very same gospel as Jesus himself had preached. One can establish by simply taking a Bible and beginning at the ministry of Jesus Christ and follow the activity of all the preaching that went on, both in the ministry of Jesus and after his death and resurrection in the ministry of the apostles, and you'll find that the kingdom of God is the name given to the central theme of that preaching. In Acts 8 and verse 12, we've already pointed out that the kingdom of God was the heart and center of what Philip preached by way of evangelism. In Acts 19 and verse 8, we find that Paul was dialoguing and discussing, arguing and persuading in regard to the kingdom of God. Acts 19 verse 8. Now in Paul's farewell discourse in Acts 20, a most important passage because in a farewell discourse you summarize your life's work. In that passage, Paul tells us with great clarity what he'd been preaching. In Acts 20 verse 24, Paul referred to the gospel of the grace of God. And in verse 25, the very next verse, he defined what that gospel of the grace of God is. He said that he'd been going about heralding or preaching the gospel of the kingdom. There it is again, unmistakably, the very same message as Jesus had preached. So Paul then was a great preacher of the kingdom, just as Jesus had been. In Acts 14.22, Paul speaks of the kingdom as the objective of our faith. Through much tribulation, he said, we must enter the kingdom of God. And that, of course, is entrance into the kingdom of God when Jesus returns at the end of the age in power and glory to set up the very kingdom which was the subject of all of his preaching. In Acts chapter 28, verse 23, we find that Paul convened a number of Jews to his house, and from dawn till dusk he persuaded them, or tried to persuade them, in regard to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, using as his source material the law and the prophets, that's to say the Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible, it was a daily exercise from dawn till dusk, an exercise in persuasion in regard to the kingdom. That's what evangelism is in the Bible. And in the 31st verse of Acts 28, as Luke's final description of what Paul did by way of evangelism, again, the kingdom of God's salvation, the kingdom of God gospel, now goes to the Gentiles. You'll note that the very same message goes to the Gentiles there's no change of gospel when you move to the Gentiles. The Gentiles were expected to believe the same gospel that Paul always preached and the same gospel as Jesus had preached. Now, isn't that a wonderfully unifying factor in the New Testament documents? Did you realize that the underlying theme of the entirety of the Bible has to do with the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God was established at first in the Garden of Eden, it was disrupted when the devil managed to deceive Adam and Eve into obeying him rather than God. And God has been in the process 
of restoring the kingdom. The kingdom was demonstrated in the kingdom given to David and Solomon. The kingdom of Israel is also called the kingdom of the Lord in the Bible. But that kingdom ceased to be when the Jews were finally taken into captivity. That kingdom has never been restored. And yet all the prophets of Israel promised that the kingdom would indeed be reestablished, would be restored, that the throne of David itself would be restored, and that the kingdom of God would prevail and triumph over the whole earth. That's the exciting drama presented to us in the Bible. If you find Bible study difficult, Bible reading a tedious chore, it may be because you've not grasped the overall drama being worked out in its pages. That drama involves you and your own life and the life of your family. Jesus, using the tool of the gospel of the kingdom, invites you to a place in that wonderful kingdom to be established on the earth of the second coming of Christ. The gospel of the kingdom simply makes an announcement and puts the world on the alert. The kingdom of God is coming, Jesus Christ said. Now certainly centuries have elapsed since that message was first given. But do those of us who have faith believe that God's promises have failed? That, of course, is the challenge of faith. Our faith is that God will bring to pass in his own good time the coming of the kingdom as promised by Jesus and all the prophets. There is simply a mass of material available in the Hebrew Bible about the nature of this kingdom which is coming at the second coming of Jesus. In Daniel 2, verse 44, we've been noting often that there's a stone cut out of a mountain, and the stone there is a symbol of Jesus Christ himself smashing previous world kingdoms and destroying them and replacing them with the kingdom of God on the earth. We read there that the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. The scene of that kingdom, the location of that kingdom, is plainly to be upon the earth. In Daniel 2 and verse 35, in the vision given to Nebuchadnezzar and interpreted by the brilliant young prophet Daniel, we find that the scene of the final act of the drama by which the kingdom of God is established on the earth means the collapse of the image representing world and Gentile kingdoms. That image is going to be struck on its feet by a supernatural stone representing the Messiah and not a trace of those former governments will remain once the kingdom of God supersedes them and extends its influence across the globe. You will note that it's the earth that's going to be filled by this new kingdom which comes after the demise and ruin of previous world kingdoms. The earth in Isaiah 11 verse 9 is going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord. There's an excellent parallel passage to Daniel 2, verse 44. Isaiah 11, verse 9. The earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the Lord to the extent that the waters cover the sea. That's exactly the picture of the kingdom of God we find in Daniel, and we find it extensively described in the book of Isaiah and the other prophets. The single most important fact about this discussion of the gospel of the kingdom is that the location of the kingdom is not beyond space and time. It is spatially bound. That's to say, the kingdom is going to appear in a definite geographical location on this earth. The scene of the kingdom of God is positively not some super-celestial area beyond the stars. 
It is not to be in some region removed from this planet. No, the kingdom of God is to appear on this earth. It will indeed be a real world empire with Jesus Christ at its head. The gospel of the kingdom of God invites you to be part of that kingdom, not just to be a citizen in the kingdom, but actually to possess a share in the kingdom and to have an administrative function in the new world order to be introduced by Jesus at his return. No one must mislead us into thinking that this kingdom is merely an idea or an ideal in the heart. It's not a, quote, spiritual kingdom removed from the earth. It is indeed spiritual because Jesus Christ will be there personally, but it's a physical and tangible external kingdom of God, a real society of human beings, a new world order on this planet. Let me give you another picture of the kingdom of God as described in the prophets of Israel. In the book of Zechariah, chapter 14, we read of this wonderful time coming when the Lord will be king over all the earth. In that day or at that time, the Lord will be the only one and his name the only one. All the land will be changed into a plain from Geba to Rimmon, south of Jerusalem, but Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site from Benjamin's gate as far as the place of the first gate to the corner gate and from the tower of Hananel to the king's wine presses. And people will live in it, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. The Bible is simply filled with such magnificent pictures of a great time coming for the world, the kingdom of God. We invite you to ponder these great issues of the kingdom and join us again for our continued discussion of Jesus' favorite topic, the gospel about the kingdom of God.